0: You do go through that moment where you think, I actually can't do this. I've always had a little bit of anxiety, I think, going through life, but postpartum probably exacerbated that and kind of was a catalyst for me to actually face these worries and and get the help that I needed. But it took a while for me to realise that while those feelings are normal, if they are inhibiting you from feeling that joy that you should be feeling not every minute but that you know ultimately should overshadow the hard then you probably should go and talk to someone and get that help
1: one of your m- most well-known poems it's all heaps happening right now and no one can sleep and i'm getting literally kicked in the spleen all night long and one day i won't be there like Ex- exactly that.
0: yeah And you don't know when the last time is going to be. There's never a warning. It just happens. And then you look back later and you go, oh, when was the last time I actually picked them up or they said that word in that way? You don't know. If you look in our hallway in that beautiful golden hour, all you can see are oily handprints all over the hallway. And we're not going to do anything about that because I'd have to paint that to get rid of those. So that's permanent. And their hands will only be that little. What? <laughs> yeah, <Once it's> that?
1: A... <laughs> G'day. Thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to get notified about new episodes, get access to live events before anybody else and read things that you don't hear on this show, you can subscribe to our newsletter right now at osherginsberg.com. Before we get to the wonderful Jess Ehrlich, podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. So in the interest of paying the very best people to do their very best work, here are some ads. G'day, it's Osher Ginsberg here. This is Better Than Yesterday, making it better every single episode since 2013. My name is Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a TV host. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm an electric vehicle driver. For 13 years now, 13 years ago, I got my first EV. It was a Nissan Leaf. My little Leafy and I, we valiantly adventured through the hills of my Californian home. And now my little electric Nissan Leaf hatchback and I, we smile kindly at all the other electric cars that are coming to join us on the drive every day. Like, you know, kind of like the old guy in the corner is going, There you are. Well, you welcome. Welcome. We've been here a while. We're happy to have you too. It's lovely. It's very nice. Jess Ehrlich is on the show today. She is an author, she's a poet, and she lives in New Zealand with her husband and their three delightful kids. She's written a variety of children's books to help babies and young children navigate their emotions in their early years. Jess is very successful. She sold hundreds of thousands of copies of her books all around the world. Her most popular book, From One Mum to Another. Jessica's new book is called Beautiful Chaos. You can get it right now for pre-order and you can buy it on the 5th of March. We do cover a lot in this conversation, the challenges and joys of parenthood, the impact of hearing birth stories on expectant mothers, the profound transformation that can occur when becoming a parent, and the journey of seeking help for postpartum mental health, which Jess has experience with. We do cover the importance of supporting children with mental health issues, and she has some excellent advice to parents on how to navigate challenges such as that, and generously shares her strategies for how she stays organized as a parent while managing her own OCD. I hope you enjoy connecting with Jess just as much as I did. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Jess. I'm grateful that you were able to speak to me. I'm pretty sure it's a decent time of day there though.
0: It is. I've got the kids sorted, though. They are All three of them are being looked after. One's having a nap. So if you do hear anything in the background, I'm sorry. Hopefully you won't.
1: Oh, we've Our youngest has grown out of the naps, the day naps. Oh. And I reckon they decide they don't need a day nap about a year before they actually don't need a day nap.
0: hundred percent. And then you get the car naps and that, you know, all they sleep for 10 minutes and decide they need to stay up for an extra three hours before they go to bed.
1: And then he just then he, he he knows what's up. It's like we don't need to go anywhere in the middle of the day. What is this? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mate, you have entered the twilight zone and it's two PM.
0: Yeah. have yeah. <laughs>
1: got five hours of this. Yeah. It's uh it's a lot. Uh well firstly, look, thank you for putting this you know, the the wonderful books you've put into the world, but also thank you for being honest and sharing about you know what you've been through. It's I think it's it's the more you talk about things when they maybe don't go as planned I guess starts to increase the acceptance that the way things went for you in some ways that's how things go sometimes and so it becomes yeah. less of a how should we put this um unwanted you know outcome and more of a oh it's a possible outcome and it's not so frightening because i was quite aware that bef- while you were pregnant and i can't imagine how frightening this would be while you were pregnant for your first people just started telling you horror stories oh and my god what does that do to your brain
0: <laughs> i know i know and it's not so great for anxiety either because you kind of go in there expecting the worst and there's that, that fine line though isn't there like you kind of want to be honest about parenthood and and not just say enjoy every minute and it's just so beautiful and amazing you kind of also want to Throw in a little bit of realistic stories there, and but then you don't want to frighten people. So it's really hard to find that balance, I think.
1: And I'm sure people are trying to do the right thing, right? But I'm now sure you've there's had,
0: well intent there.
1: Yeah, but now you've had, if you have three children, you've given birth three times, what would you say to others <laughs> about sharing with a woman who's pregnant for the first time about, their birth story?
0: One thing that I sort of realized is that people want to share their war stories, yeah, possibly more than they want to share the empowering ones. And I think a lot of that could be, and look, I don't know, but I think sometimes people like birth can actually be a really traumatic thing. It's also very beautiful, but what you are going through, it's intense and no one can explain to you what you're about to embark on. And so I think the overwhelming factor is what I felt the most is that someone's trying to tell you something and you can't relate it to anything. And it's just really scary. And that's not to say not to say anything, but I think one of the things that I would have appreciated a little bit more was the whole just trusting in myself and leaning into my own power, possibly advocating for myself a little bit more because you do go in there and think, well, I'm not a mother yet. I've got absolutely no idea, but somehow you, you kind of do, you sort of like, in hindsight, when I look back after my first and this changed with my second and hugely with my third, I definitely had a stronger voice then. But with my first, when I look back, I think actually there were moments that I kind of wish I had said something to the midwife or been a bit more honest about how I was feeling, but I didn't because I kind of had that mentality, like, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to, you know, so I don't know. I think just leaning into yourself and I don't know, believing in your power.
1: I wonder how anyone could, you know, go through that without, like, how are you supposed to know? You know, yes, there was a cultural tradition of people sharing along the way, but along the way, that also became, oh, well, we don't talk about that, the women's business. You know, we don't want to talk about peri- <laughs> peridiums. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so it became this thing. It's like, well, we, we, don't, we can't, can't speak about it. So of course you were in this place where, like, I don't feel that I'm allowed to. Oh, that can't be good.
0: Yeah, I know. No, it's so important. I mean, Drew, uh, my husband, he has been so involved the whole way through, which is exactly how it should be, because this is a two-way street. You know, we both share the parenting equally. I do feel like, I mean, I don't know, we can talk about this later, like the mental load I, I still feel sits in my head more than it does with him, but he's the chiller, I'm the warrior, and we kind of meet in the middle there, which is a really good balance. But, no, he's been he's he's always been really interested to know, You know, he came to every antenatal class, he always had questions, and that put my mind at ease so much, and honestly, that's how it should be.
1: Back to those, you know, kind of the the war stories that you spoke about, Mm. what you had in your head about what those sensations might mean because of the stories you told Mm -hmm. in your first labour compared to what those sensations might mean when, you know, your third child, what was the difference there?
0: It's funny, the, the the first two times it was actually very similar. So I, that both happened overnight and it just started off as just this feeling of being really uncomfortable, like almost like premenstrual pains, I guess, but they, you start to notice a bit of a pattern and I was just mindful that I needed to get some sleep, um, which is easier said than done. And just as it progressed, it just, I guess it, for me, it, got really painful really, really quickly. And that's Mm. when I knew that I needed to call the midwife. And then I guess by the time I got to hospital, both times, that's when it was just completely ramped up and I had to get inside my head to deal with the pain. And I found that, to be honest, really hard because I'd gone into it with so much anxiety and I had heard these war stories. I felt like I couldn't, yeah I couldn't stay inside my head. Drew was amazing. I had my mum there for the first two births, and she was amazing as well. I couldn't speak, I couldn't I just literally had to just go to this place of just complete silence just to deal with the pain because as soon as it was over, obviously as your contractions get quicker, hmm. you're straight into the next one. And it really does feel like you can't do this. You, you do go through that moment where you think, I actually can't do this. this is horrific, but you do, and you get through. But it's very hard to describe that pain because it's not just like physically what you're going through. It's so in your head and it is encompassing and consuming. And then you have this baby and it's crazy because like I know not everybody feels that instant bond. I totally understand that. But the relief that you feel mixed with love and with trauma and with what just happened, it is surreal. So surreal.
1: My wife, Audrey, she described something very similar. As a man watching it, you're like, I I can't relate to that.
0: Yeah, and I think (laughs) it must be actually quite hard for you guys because you're in the room and I guess you're just like, you feel a bit helpless because you want to help, but you kind of just have to stand there and just be there. You can't really, I mean, you can't take that pain away, but it must be difficult
1: ah uh, it it was but then you know i had we like we like jobs to do and so <laughs> being able to advocate for mm. her i was grateful that i was able to do that mm. and um and that was good because it 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 meant that afterwards she was able to see that you know i was able to do the things that i said i would do beforehand and you know it was all good and yeah w- witnessing the most intense in tense sensation that I've ever seen anyone deal with, the most profoundly physical thing I've ever seen anybody do, truly just creating life, channeling the universe through her womb in immense amounts of pain. Blink, blink. Like did a switch just flick off in your brain?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, well, your life changes in an instant too, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's hard to come to terms with it's incredible
1: that that moment when you know and I remember when I'm talking about it mm. when the baby's laying on your chest and looks up at you i mean
0: i know there's nothing like it and when you said before about advocating actually, that's a really really important thing and a and a discussion that i that would have been a really great tip for me actually going into this for the first time because I didn't realize how much I would potentially lose my voice from what I was going through and how much I just did need to channel everything within. And so come the second and third time, those are the conversations that I had with Drew. And, you know, by the third time, I didn't really need to, you know, it wasn't our first rodeo, but I just said, look, because I got turned away from the hospital um, with my first when I was in like an immense amount of pain. There wasn't any examination done. I was just turned away and I wasn't coping at home. And very quickly we were right back in and they tried to send me home again and I almost went. And that's when I started vomiting on the way out. And they said, oh, look, we should probably do an examination on you. And I was um, almost 10 centimetres. Good Lord. Yeah. So it was horrific. But, you know, I also didn't know what to feel what to expect and that's where i sort of talk about like leaning into your voice I, I didn't want to be a pain i thought oh maybe this is just the start although when they said to me you can go home i actually thought i can't there is no way i'm going to survive this at home at this stage so when they said to me oh you're almost at 10 centimeters that was just such a relief i was like oh i'm almost there um but i said to drew if that happens again and I just can't speak. I really need you to come to the table. I'm just going to look at you and you are going to know what to say. And um, I think those conversations are actually really important going into it.
1: You mentioned, uh, you know, I heard you qualify that not everybody has that instant bond. So you've got an understanding that people's experiences are, are different. Mm. The We are aware of the you know, the incidence of things like PND, you know, were you aware that this is quite high and Mm. it's nobody's fault? Mm. It can just happen. Were you aware of that sort of thing during a pregnancy?
0: No, not during. I sort of felt like my worries were pretty, I guess, on the surface. I didn't really explore them too much. I mean, I've always had a little bit of anxiety, I think, going through life, but postpartum probably exacerbated that and kind of was the catalyst for me to actually face these worries and and get the help that I needed. Took me a long time though, because I had two a year apart. So it actually wasn't until after my second that I sought that help. And that was a bit of a journey. Best thing I ever did though. But it took a while for me to realize that while those feelings are normal, I think you kind of know if they are, if they are inhibiting you from feeling that joy that you should be feeling not every minute, but that, you know, ultimately should overshadow the hard, then you probably should go and talk to someone and get that help. I I think it's also circumstantial. You know, some people have really traumatic births and that can be a really hard thing to just come back from, you know, like y- you do need to unpack that and you do need to hold that space for yourself because it's not like you know, within an hour you're like, oh, I'm a mum now, you know, everything's great. It's like you've just been through something huge. Both of you have, you and your baby as well. So it's giving yourself grace and, um, yeah, it's not a linear journey.
1: To fall pregnant again while you've still got an infant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's joy
0: somewhere. I mean, it's going to sound crazy to say that we actually planned it that way and I knew I knew that it was going to be hard, but I had no idea that it was going to be as challenging as what it was. I sort of think we, like our mindset was at the time we only wanted two. And I was thinking like, I guess quite strategically, because I'm a real planner. And I thought, I don't, you know, there's no point me going back to work straight away. We know that we want to, we know we want quite a small age gap So instead of me going back to work for like six months and then leaving again, like, why don't we just do it now? And yeah, it was, it was full on, very full on. And we, we also found out, I kind of worked this out during my pregnancy with my second, that my son was highly sensitive. Um, He's actually been diagnosed since he's six now. He's got sensory processing and dyspraxia. So as an infant like as a as this little baby that added this extra layer of just these urgent and very intense needs and so I'm trying to be there for him in that way and be there for a newborn and I look back now and I'm like oh my goodness no wonder I had this anxiety that I had
1: my goodness I know someone who had three under three and she speaks about just this five years of I don't know what time of day it was don't know Be a blur. (laughs) Just a complete, complete blur. Mm. I think my wife is, I think she's like 13 months away from her brother or something like that. So. Yeah,
0: that's our age gap, 13 months, just under.
1: It's, yeah. You know, it's pretty, yeah, it's a hard, hard turnaround. I mean,. But I, I understand why, because, you know, you work in HR, you've figured out what mat leave looks like. You're like, man, <laughs> this far better career path, better outcomes, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And then, sorry, mate.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really great now. Like, obviously, they, they're really good friends. And it's also hard because they're so close in age. They do tend to fight a lot, as, sim- as siblings obviously do. But, yeah, I didn't anticipate how difficult it would be. And you really do need a village around you, regardless of how many kids you have. You do need yeah. that village and you do need that support.
1: At what point was – and I'm sure, you know, you there's – we're just tired because we're sleeping in 47-minute chunks when we can for years mm-hmm. at a time. And that can play havoc with your ability to – process things organize yourself do your daily tasks of living whatever they're called you know was it drew your husband that said to you hang on this these kind of fights or whatever the arguments we're having they don't feel right or like what was the moment was there moments leading up to you deciding to to seek help
0: yeah i mean i had a really horrible breastfeeding journey with my first it wasn't what I had wanted. I wanted to be able to breastfeed him and um, that didn't work out. And so uh, I don't think I ever really dealt with that. And I took that through to my, you know, second birth. And I wasn't even so worried about the birth as I was trying to breastfeed again. That also played a huge part in my anxiety. And we didn't have an easy journey there either, but we managed to breastfeed. I fed her until she was 14 months. But it was when she was probably, gosh, I don't know, maybe two or three months old, um, or maybe younger, I can't remember now, all a blur, but I just said to him that I didn't feel myself. It, it actually came out of nowhere. We were just having this really nice time. And I just was like, do you know, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel joy like I used to, I but I want to, I'm not sure what's wrong with me. And, um, he was just really good. Like he didn't try to fix it. He didn't try to come up with solutions. He suggested that I talk to my mum because um, her and I are really close, and so I spoke to her that she came around and I spoke to them both together. And I think one of the hardest things when you're going through something like this is that very first step in just being honest about how you're feeling. So once I'd done that, getting the help after was a lot easier.
1: There's 11 more steps in my uh, <laughs> program. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's step one in in every 12-step program is mm. – acceptance Mm. and once you have acceptance well then you can get into action and it's terrifying because nobody wants to have this thing Mm. but once you have it once you accept it well there it is on the table you can now we can do something about it and it's no it it has a lot less power over you than it did you're now separate from it
0: Oh, for sure. And I think there's still the stigma there that if you admit that you're finding it really hard, and I truly believe that good parents find parenting hard anyway. So there's there's that, good mums feel the mum guilt. So I try to remind myself of that too. But I think there's that stigma that if you're not enjoying every minute, then you're not grateful. And so when I started to write about these feelings, it was really hard because, you know, I'm like laying my heart out there for the world to judge. But, you know, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so when you talk about these things and you are really open, you're validating someone's experience. Like you're literally reaching right into their heart and saying, hey, I see you. You're normal. We all go through this. And, you know, you're not alone. And I think that was um, really cathartic for not just me, but, you know, for them too. Like I've made the most amazing connections through this journey.
1: What role did, you know, the expectations set up by – I guess, the images and vision that you were exposed to, you know, through your phone and through, you know, various ways that we appreciate the world through our phones these days. How did that, do you think, affect what you felt inside that you're experiencing wasn't matching that?
0: Oh, it it played such a huge part. I think just like the company that you keep in life, you should also be really mindful of the company you keep on social media. So as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was like, right, I need to follow heaps of mummy bloggers because, you know, I can look up to them and they're going to tell me what to do. I don't think I I mean this is not f- for all of them of course but I just remember coming off my phone going oh god like how am I how am I going to cope I need this I need that I need this and also then we're the ba- doing
1: I do not realize we need animal stencils I'm cutting them out of <laughs> crepe paper right now I'm a terrible mum we need
0: this oh look mate just like even just what parents show that they do for their kids for Easter like I thought you just chucked a few <laughs> eggs at them and now it's like you do these big hampers and you Go and get photo shoots, and like that's really great. You can do all that, but what you know, you, you yeah, like you said, subconsciously, you're scrolling through your feed and you're seeing perfect aesthetic nurseries, you know, hospital bags that are just like perfectly labeled. And I, like, literally by my third, I just chucked a whole bunch of stuff in a few days before the due date. I hardly got anything for her. I mean, we had a lot of hand me downs, but I knew all the stuff I didn't need. The okay. pressure would have been so off if I hadn't immersed myself in that before having my first for sure
1: yeah so if you were to say so, so there's somebody who's pregnant listening right now mm-hmm. what would you say to them about what images and what kind of you're creating and what subconsciously you're setting up as an expectation and, and your phone
0: all right the first thing i would probably say is that your baby doesn't give a shit about its nursery and it's probably going to be in your room for the first few months. <laughs> um, we still can't get our five-year-old out of our room. So there's that. I think as well, like if you come away from social media or some of these accounts and you don't feel good, well, listen to that. Don't follow them then. And then thirdly, I would say that social media It's the highlight of everybody's lives. Not everyone's willing to show you the messy parts. You've got this little square and it's very easy to sweep the messy out of the frame. So just be mindful of that as well.
1: There's poo. There's blood. There's screaming.
0: Yeah, there's a lot (laughs) of that going on. We
1: never see that stuff, but that's all a part of it. And it's okay. That's always been a part of it.
0: It it has, (laughs) exactly. I think it's just important to speak with people that make you feel good, make you feel empowered. Mm. There's enough pressure anyway. So, yeah, I don't know. Social media can be great for those connections, but I just think you have to be mindful of who those connections are.
1: You mentioned not being able to get your five-year-old out of the bed. And um, that, that's a parallel with one of, I guess, your one of your m- most well-known poems, which basically is, a, is, a, is an ode. I won't spoil it because if people will want to experience it the first time, I won't do it. The disservice of trying to orate it for myself. <laughs> but it is this idea of, yeah, it's, it's all heaps happening right now and no one can sleep and I'm getting literally kicked in the spleen all night long. And one day I won't be there.
0: Like exactly. That. Yeah.
1: What's wonderful about a first kiss is because it only happens once. You mm-hmm. only get and, – and delaying a first kiss with a romantic partner, you only get to have the, the time before you've ever kissed them one time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you only get to kiss them the first time once. And it never, ever, ever happens again. It's literally that because there's all the emotion and I love you and I care about you and I really want to show you this – It's that 20 times a day, Mm. and then it's not.
0: Exactly, yeah. And you don't know when the last time is going to be. There's never a warning. It just happens. And then you look back later and you go, oh, when was the last time I actually picked them up or they said that word in that way? You don't know.
1: My um, former colleague, Stav, he just said to me one day, you know, he said, one day you will put them down after carrying them. And you won't realise that's the last time you've ever put them down
0: yeah. after carrying them. I know. That's the thing.
1: But I think there's, for me, that lesson a- allows us to, I mean, it's mindfulness. It's how can we be present to the moment. The moments are still there. I mean, I said they never happen again. They do happen again. They just become more granular. Yeah. And it is in being with those moments. It allows you to get through the, oh, fuck the compost bin. And just, just,
0: <laughs> yeah. I also think as well, though, you know, we have this um, worry that we're going to miss things because of that saying, blink, and you'll miss it. But Mm. I also think, you know, you don't actually miss it. You, like, I've got this in one of my poems because it was a bit of an epiphany to me. You don't miss it. You were there, but you miss saying goodbye to it. And I think that's, that's the journey. You know, that's what happens. And so it is really hard to be present in a moment that you don't know is going to be the last time. And especially like we've been saying, it's such a blur. It almost feels unfair because you're so busy and you're so pulled in all directions and you're sleep deprived and you want to enjoy it. And you know that you don't want to rush their independence because they're only a child for so long. And that's their job is to be a child. That's it. But when you're that tired and you've got multiple kids and they're screaming and you're overstimulated, it's like, Oh, it's really hard. It's a it's a fine line to balance being present when you have to live ten steps ahead of yourself. I I mean, I do not have the answer.
1: (laughs) That is also an answer that there is no answer. Yeah, it's this is what it is. Mm. There's no way to be you before this stuff happened ever Mm. again, Mm -hmm. and this is being you with all this going on, and this is all a part of it. This is who we get to become, and for dads as well. Uh, it's, it's extraordinary, and, and, I, and I do want to point it out because I, I try to point it out whenever I speak about it. The transformation that occurs within a, a father who is present and who is there, and it, that doesn't have to necessarily be with a, a, a child that you have biologically fathered, mm. right? One day, Georgia was my girlfriend's kid. The next day, I would have died if it meant keeping her alive. The next day, every cent I earned was now all to make her dreams come true. Poof, like in a click of a finger, it happened. Mm. And that was it. And it's the same with Wolfgang, but I, I just I would love – I want, you know, if any men – listening, you know, wanting them to know, it's like, oh, no, 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 that thing happens. Yeah. That thing happens where you your loose mate who suddenly got their shit together, he's like, well, what happened to him? What's, what's going on with Gav? Gav used to be just like pants off on the pool table. Now he's like, I don't know, he's got a linen shirt and everything. You know? <laughs> that can happen with stepkids. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really important. What
1: what changes did you notice in your husband?
0: Honestly, I I wasn't even really sure I wanted kids until I met Drew. Um, it wasn't that I didn't; it was just never really in my life plan. Um, when I met Drew, that was when I actually could see myself having a family. And um, yeah, I mean, look, it's been of course it's been tough on our relationship um, because I think it's tough for everybody. There's that saying that um, kids don't heal a marriage; they reveal a marriage. And we definitely have gone through some really tough times. But, you know, we had that real solid friendship foundation before going into this that I feel helped so much. And I think both of us, especially him, like, you know, he is a much better version of himself now that he's a dad. And I think we're better versions like together, like we're a better, we're a better couple. We just have way less time for each other, (laughs) way less time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think so far? I'd love to know your thoughts. You can just pop on Instagram, find the post with Jess on it. Uh, Just let me know if this episode is useful. If you're finding some stuff in here that a mate of yours could use, please do consider sharing it. Uh, hit the little arrow in the corner and send it over to them you can text it or post it somewhere and do like and subscribe and follow and leave a review all that stuff really really helps us doesn't cost you a thing to do if you are in melbourne we are coming to see you we'll be there playing 10 nights in a row at the greek center 28th of march to the 9th of april with ntnn nnn uh, the magnificent news show that we are doing it is um our second time at the melbourne international comedy festival come be a part of it it's a lot of fun 1500 or so people saw the show last year it's different every single night there's special guests every single night and it's the news of the day every day and the news sucks at the moment so if you're going to get the news you may as well come and get it from people who make you laugh and my experience of it and the experience of the people in the room is that it makes you feel less nuts because it's a total shit show what's going on in the world and if you can laugh about what the fuck's happening, it's a little easy to deal with. You can find all the details and the tickets in the show notes while you're there. There's also a link to sign up to the newsletter where there's going to be some very special tasty treats for your ear holes in just a few short weeks. I'm working on something for mailing list people only, but I'll tell you about that shortly. We're back with Jess in a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I have an office downstairs that I'm sitting in right now while, you know, Wolf is now at daycare, but was a time when he wasn't and i was able to shut myself off and do the work that needed to get done to keep the you know the the money coming in i know what it is for me i've written a book you know i know what i needed to be able to sit and get my head together Mm. how do you even find the space and quiet and time to to write let alone emotive poetry that moves people to tears when they (laughs) just think about it
0: i think like Because it's something I absolutely love doing and it's very healing for me, I make sure that I make that time, um, whether it be late at night, whether it be during naps, whether I'm just really quickly scribbling something into my notepad while the chaos is happening around me just so I don't lose it and I can come back to it later. Before Heidi, Heidi's one now, it was a lot easier because there was school, there was kindy, and I definitely had those times mapped out for me. Uh, But one thing I have learned about my writing style is that I can't, you know, if I've just got a four-hour window, I can't just be like, right, go, write. Inspiration has to strike for me. And that's the thing with my poetry is that it all comes from real-life moments. So I have to live my life just as I am to be able to write this stuff in the first place. Uh, With books, uh, my children's books is a little bit different because I have a theme, but honestly most most of these have all happened – um, late at night, so tired.
1: You can't create for an empty well. Mm. You, creativity is a reflection of the life that you've lived, mm. and you you have to feed that subconscious. You have to if you want to create fresh, interesting things. You've got to go and do stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. And, I mean, like, even now when I look back on – I reshare a lot of the pieces that I wrote four years ago – because they're in my books and there's a new mom every minute type thing, you know, and I think there will be someone who wants to, to hear that and, and feel seen. It is funny for me though. I'm in such a different place now and I had such a different experience with my third. I didn't experience that postpartum period of anxiety. I mean, it wasn't easy, but I didn't have any of that. So when I share something like that now from years ago, and I read through all the comments or even just read through the poem, I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so far removed from it. Mm -hmm. But I see how many people are going through that right now. And I'm just so glad that I penned it when I did, because if I hadn't, I think it would be really hard for me to write about that now.
1: Yeah. It speaks to two things for me, and it's one thing that when I was – I got quite ill and I wrote a book about getting better. And one of the things that I would all – I would write down, and one thing I would almost chant in my head as a mantra, I always found those things quite useful when I was exercising, is that no mental state is a permanent state. Mm. We're constantly in motion, yet as a self-protection mechanism, our brain convinces Mm. how bad this is is how it's always going to be. So you'd better do something drastic to stop this immediately, and that nearly killed me. Mm. Um, What you've just talked about is proof that you can barely recognise the person that wrote this thing, which is a direct report from their heart four Mm. years ago, and you're reading it now going, wow, I don't know, who is that?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: If you could have told you four years ago writing that poem that you now wouldn't recognise it, do you think you would have listened? Do you think you would have believed it?
0: (laughs) I know that if someone had told me those words or future me, it definitely would have given me hope and it would have helped. But it's definitely such an individual journey that that hope is what you need to fuel you and put those you know feet in front of the other. But I don't know. I think you discover these things yourself because you're meant to. And it is such a proud moment looking back and going, wow, that was really hard. But I survived that and I did that.
1: I look back now. I was with my psychiatrist yesterday, actually, and just kind of reflect. I've known him for 10 years and just reflecting on what it was like when we first met. It's like, don't know who that guy is. You know, mm. I remember how terrifying it was and how permanent and awful things were. Mm. But just being unable to believe him for a long time that it could ever be different. Yeah. But I had to because otherwise I wouldn't have tried. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think as well, you know, like we talk about that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. One thing I think about now when I look back is the cracks of light coming through the tunnel the whole time. But Mm. at the time, I couldn't see that. I couldn't even see the light. Like you said, it felt like a state of permanence, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm never – what you know this is my life now I mean there was even a moment where I thought what have we done which sounds horrible to say I don't feel that way I don't even think I felt that way when I said it but it felt very real for me at the time because I was just an empty shell of a person but yeah like I mean gosh life is life is good and I mean it's hard and it's hectic and it's beautiful chaos and all of that but it's good and yeah I look back now and I'm like wow you know it just it really isn't permanent even if it feels like it is it isn't.
1: It is as as fleeting as the kid who doesn't want to go down even the smallest slide at the park, and then ten minutes later has figured out that they can do it safely, and they'll never be afraid of the slide again.
0: Oh yeah, and, and it's different as, children. It's as fleeting as a kid who loves bananas one day and hates them the next. <laughs>
1: <laughs> In, so let's let's talk another the time then. You know, I'm sure people have this kind of idealized version of who you are. They do the, the linen caftan felt hat version of you going, oh, I bet Jess Ehrlich doesn't have, you know, to deal with the kid throwing broccoli. I bet her, you know, she's writing 17 stanzas about how amazing her kid is right now, but you, you little bastard, you know. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the, tell me about the food flying at dinner time.
0: Oh, it's it's madness. We all try and sit down together and eat together. We have a a very bland dinner most nights because of that but I think like on social media I show up in a pretty real, authentic way that I'd be very surprised if anybody thought I was writing stanzas at dinner time, all my kids were perfect. Like I'd be like, you mustn't have followed me for long. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's people listening who, you know, this may be the first time that they are becoming aware of you. They'll probably go and find, you know, your poetry and go and look at your stuff online after this conversation. But it, you know, I just, I guess wanted to explore that. Oh no, 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 no. You'll, you'll not, different to anybody else we all have that
0: oh absolutely you know we've got if you look in our hallway in that beautiful golden hour all you can see are oily handprints all over the hallway and we're not going to do anything about that because i'd have to paint that to get rid of those so that's permanent and the hands will only be that little
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, <Once it's>
1: that. <laughs> we're about to put a concrete slab in the backyard and i was like oh I get to put Wolfie's handprint in there. And then, you know, (laughs) I'm excited about that because it won't be long before I was like five times the size. It sounds like your mum was extraordinarily supportive uh, of of when things weren't going great. What would you say to to parents of kids who are, you know, maybe in their mid-20s or late-20s having kids now, who maybe had a, a different outlook on... When brains don't work that great? Because there's people who listen to the show who are in their kind of mid-50s, sometimes 60s. What would you say to them about supporting their daughters and and sons who are going through this sort of stuff?
0: Uh, One thing that's been really amazing that mum has done is she has taken on board a lot of my learnings from, I guess, modern-day parenting. So while I leaned on Mm -hmm. her for so much of her experience, because that has been invaluable to me, there's also been a lot of things that, you know, things have changed and we do – we're careful with the way that we phrase things now not that my mum has ever been the type to just turn around and say big boys don't cry that's a that's an example mm-hmm. there but you know she's been really really good at that whereas i know that there are some parents out there that kind of go oh well you know we did this with you and you turned out fine just let your baby cry from seven till seven and holding that space and letting your child find their own path and motherhood is is really amazing it gives them that empowerment it builds up their voice to be stronger oh and just do the dishes sometimes please just do do, sometimes just come around and do the dishes that's so helpful oh
1: yeah we used to have this thing abs always be sterilizing just always like always always reset like uh if you've ever worked hospo it's uh that moment before you close up the cafe when you're getting everything ready for the next shift the morning shift like it's just that just do that just all the time just be ready be ready be ready when you're getting through your day now i mean the complexities of of parenting doesn't get easier and it gets more complex perhaps it gets a little messier yes they get more independent but with that comes challenges i'm one of four boys as you starting to deal with you kind know, of greater independence and kids going in different directions how do you stay organized you strike me as somebody that does a lot of thinking which is why you're so creative how do do you stay organized and keep everything on track
0: well in terms of my work I don't I have really tried to approach my work like I know that anyone um that's really business-minded would probably be like oh no you need to schedule in your posts and you need to do this and you need to do that and I'm literally just like no I just I have such a passion in what I do that if I come at it from that angle it's going to feel too businessy to me and I'm just going to go oh I don't want to do it And I won't do it anymore. So I'm not organized at all with my writing. It's very as and when. With the kids and their lives, I have to be organized because, you know, there's school, there's kindy, they're all at such different stages of their lives. And I feel like school emails you 100 times a day, which no one tells you about. And so I feel like I need to just take two hours off every day just to go through these emails. I have lists. I was recently diagnosed with OCD. And it wasn't a surprise to me at all. I've got lists on my fridge. I've got like whiteboard calendars, reminders in my phone, visuals everywhere. That is how I have to function in order to like get anything done and remember things.
1: Well, there you go. I don't know if it, I, don't, I, I got diagnosed with obsessive and compulsive disorder well, around about 10 years ago or so. Uh, so I rarely speak to people who. Who have it? I find myself explaining it to others mm. quite a bit. Tell me about that. Tell me about when the diag. You said it wasn't a surprise. What was it that led you to explore that? And what was it that led to the diagnosis?
0: It's all sort of been a lead up, like from postpartum and talking about the anxiety that I had and the intrusive thoughts. It's all stemmed from that. Um, but that the OCD side of things was never explored when I saw a counsellor after my second. And it kind of got a little bit debilitating probably the last, yeah, last year. I sort of felt like these compulsions were obviously a, a coping mechanism for this worry and anxiety that I am still dealing with. And so instead of just putting a reminder in my phone for like an appointment, I would have to put it in, fi- you know, like I'd have to have it on the board and my phone on a jobs list. I'd have to You know, look at it multiple times. I'd have to put one the day before. Like, I mean, I'm making myself sound a bit full on here, but that is the only way that I know how to cope and how to get through the day calmly, even though it sounds like chaos. That gives me that calm sort of like, I guess, momentum to go from one thing to the next. I think I have like this fear that if something comes crashing down, you know, like, it's like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Um, whereas, yeah, having a third has kind of taught me that the world will continue, we'll all be okay, mm. but it is a coping mechanism, and it's just something I think I'll always do.
1: Some people, and I, I, I do talk about this a bit when I speak, um, when I, like, do keynotes and things, I, I talk about, because I really want people to know, it's like when, when you're looking at me on the telly doing stuff, you're looking at someone with OCD, with obsessive compulsive, with obsessive compulsive disorder, with ADHD, with PTSD, recovering alcoholic, you know, used to use and abuse painkillers and drugs. Y- your kid might get a diagnosis and you might think that's it. No, mm. no, no, you've got ADHD or you've got OCD. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make a choice for you and I'll, no, I won't put you in a netball. Yeah. Um, because Ugh. what would you say the diagnosis has meant for you has it you know is it something that you've now can keep the things that are useful because obviously I mean your creativity would come with a part of this would would this is what doctor told me he says well of course you've got the career you've got because you've got this don't think it's by accident mate
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure like I think that it's played a huge part in what I do and it's funny because I am so structured in my life with the kids but I'm not at all in my writing. So I, I don't really understand how, how those two intertwine at all. But that's just, yeah, I, I literally, I've always been like that though. I mean, even this is going to sound really weird, but like as soon as I learned how to write when I was a real little kid, I had this whiteboard in my room and I would write down the things that I had to do in the morning, brush teeth, get into school uniform. Like, I, wh- like why did I need to write that down at five or six? But for me, I've just always been like this. But one thing I would say, I mean, I actually wrote this about my son. I'll just read it out. It's very short. His future isn't defined by his diagnosis, his outcomes in life, his capabilities. His diagnosis is not his personality. With the right approach in people, ones who understand him and hold space, he will move mountains. He already is. And I truly believe that.
1: Do you believe that for yourself as well?
0: I'm a lot harder on myself, but if I turned that around and, and yeah, like, you know what, I, in some ways I do. And I also think when I hold my arms out to him, I'm like, I'm hugging myself back a lot of the time because he has held up a lot of mirrors to me in this journey. A lot.
1: Yeah. Look, firstly, thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for being honest when you're talking about yourself, because I would, I would put it to you that, you know, I've witnessed this in my own life. Uh, there's this idea that, oh, my needs have to come secondary because you guys are more important, all right? Whether that be with, you know, my own mother or somebody else, right? Yet, who's going to look after the kids if you fall to bits? Mm, exactly. <laughs> you know, which can happen. Yeah. And, I've, you know, it's happened with, with mates. So, where does looking after yourself fit into the picture?
0: There wasn't a lot of that, to be honest, when the kids were so young and I was in the trenches with two under two. I found that really difficult to make happen. And that was also largely due to the fact that we have one grandparent here that we share, now five grandkids around. Um, Drew's from Melbourne, so you know his family's over there. So I, it was hard to get out and about and do things for myself. But one of the things that I... Did and this might sound very minor, but it really did help, is just going on a drive by myself, listening to music that I wanted to listen to, going on a walk where I didn't take the pram when Drew was home and just like clearing my head. At that time, those were the little things that I could do and that I did have power over. And it doesn't sound like much. It's not going out and getting a mani-pedi or whatever it is that you want to do, but it was something and it was that break from the four walls that I needed.
1: And what about now?
0: Now it's very different. The kids are older, they're more independent. I mean, Heidi's young, but Drew, he's a he's an absolute trooper. There's no issue me saying, see ya, bye, good luck at bedtime with three kids. I, I see a lot of my friends now, which really fills my cup. So I'm a lot more social than I ever used to be. It's so nice because I think when I'm at home, there's always something to do. I always have to be doing this or I should be working or I should be doing something with the kids. If I can get myself out of the house, it just, I guess it just gives me that freedom to just like, I guess step into myself and not just that motherhood role and go, ah, oh, okay, I'm just going to have a conversation about anything. And it's just really nice.
1: Not everyone's going to become a published author, let alone a published poet. Though what would you say is beneficial for people who listening and what would you say about them on the practice of putting pen to paper
0: i think just make a start and i actually think pen to paper um, rather than just typing is actually a really really good way to start free writing thoughts come out differently yeah i mean if that's something you want to do you want to journal you want to explore your feelings it is the most cathartic way to do it by writing down but do try actually doing it with pen to paper
1: Do you find yourself ever just writing and then not looking at it again, but then just kind of feeling better even though you just did it?
0: Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I I definitely don't share everything that I write.
1: Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and your precious, precious quiet moments away from screaming and shouting and mum to spend with me.
0: They've been so quiet. (laughs) No, thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
1: That was Jess Ehrlich. Her brand new book was called Beautiful Chaos. It's out right now. The book is as beautiful as it is devastating. Um, I would be mindful of reading it on a plane. I cry a lot on planes. Like a movie will make me cry on a plane, but this book would make just, I'd be rivers. Even on that really short flight to Canberra, I'd get there, I reckon. I really enjoyed that conversation. I thought she was fantastic. It was nice to talk about I like talking about with her about the impermanence of mental states. And it's something that I did come to myself some time ago, but also to hear that from another person, it was really quite affirming. Um, also enjoyed talking with her about the the fleeting moments of parenthood and trying to be as present as you can in the journey. And that was a a solid reminder because, like, for example, this morning, Audrey, she worked early. She had a 3.15 alarm. Uh, When you work on morning television, that's when your alarm goes off. So I had Wolf in the bed alone with me, and he's just asleep, and he's just stroking my stubble. He's a sensory kid sometimes when he's soothing, so he's, you know, doing that. And while I couldn't fall asleep, because he's doing that, it's a bit tickly, I know it's one of only just a handful of times that he's gonna do it, before he goes, fuck off, Dad, I'm Like, so that was it. I just lay there and marveled in it. Thanks so much for being here thanks for being a part of it thanks to everyone who helped me make the show today Andy Marr on audio on video post Abby Beno our producer Toe Haida who made the music and Monica and Ben for keeping the lights on at OGTV I'll see you back here on Friday with NTNN NNN tickets to our live shows are in the show notes thanks for being a part of it